to another Western Ag Life Voices podcast, where we celebrate the people that make up the rich fabric of the Western lifestyle. Please do us a favor and thank the sponsors, because without them, we couldn't bring you these free podcasts. Welcome to Western Ag Life Media. This is Dean Fish, your co-host, along with Paul Ramirez and Matt Art. And uh, we're here, this is our first in our series of hat makers and hatters. And we're tickled to have Butch Stewart with us today from Camado, New Mexico, up in that Camado, Springerville area. How are you doing today, Butch? Oh, very fine. Thank you so much. Well, good. Well, I think um, we're excited to hear your story and kind of where you got started. So um, I guess like all good stories, you probably got to start at the beginning. So tell us a little bit about um, kind of your background and how you how you first got into the hat business. I actually think that I was thinking about this before we talked. <laughs> I was actually thinking when I was about 11 years old, my grand, my parents actually had a grocery store. And I had had an old drill instructor's hat that someone gave me and where it came from, I don't remember, but I didn't like the way it looked. So I washed it and I had an old bedpost. I kind of worked it around the bedpost and made it look as much like Roy Rogers as I possibly could. And I put this hat and got it all fixed up and I was wearing it. Somebody, one of the, the old cowboys came into my, my parents' grocery store and, and he asked me, he says, oh, Butch, you got a new hat. And I said, no, I just fixed up that old one, you know. And he said, really? He said, that's not a new hat. And I said, no, no, it's just the old one that I've had before. And he goes, well, you think you could fix mine like that, you know? And, you know, so I took his hat and I did my thing to it. And, you know, he paid me a quarter for that and it looked pretty good. <laughs> that was the first honest quarter you made to hat business, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> probably the first quarter I ever made, period. <laughs> so it was the funny thing about it was, um, you know, it, there was an interest spark there with me. I actually found something that I could do that impressed somebody and it made me feel pretty good, you know. So later on throughout the years, I always worked on hats for people, just on more of a nonchalant type thing. But, um, as we got, you know, deeper into, deeper into my life, uh, I had an opportunity to buy out a company in Austin, Texas, so the Lone Star Hatters, and it was up for sale and I actually purchased that and, um, you kind of, it kind of got started in a, in a professional way right there. I wasn't really novice to the, to the business, but yet, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe I should say I was to the business, but not to the actual dealing with hats, you know, the physical part of it. And so re- remind our audience where you grew up. That was in Texas, right? Yes, I actually grew up in Houston, Texas. That's, that was that was where I got started. So then you buy this business. If I remember right, I, I read your Western Horseman interview. That was a, that was a pretty good interview. But you, you bought your business and kind of got started there, right, with Lone Star Hats? That's true. Lone Star Hatters was, was the beginning for me on a, on a professional level. And uh, we started out uh, making just general hats, you know, like the materials available at the time allowed us to make. We was actually involved in making some very high-end Panama hats. But honestly, I didn't really like that. I really didn't particularly care for the Panama hat business, uh, the actual hats themselves. I was more interested in, in hats, Western felt cowboy hats. And, you know, it was kind of, at the time, interestingly enough, um, I've always kind of been able to recognize quality in hats. And I don't know if it's just a knack or if most people can, and I just was one of those. But I was never really totally satisfied, even with some of the 10X hats that were available back then. Uh, there was different companies that had 10X. 
and those back then in those days, that's pretty much all that you could really get was 10x. It was the the X rating started out at 3x, 4x, 5x, and then 7x, and then 10x, and that was pretty much it. A little later on, uh, then then they started coming out with 20x's and 50x's and 100x's, and I don't know how many x's are available anymore, but. <laughs> To In me, infinity and beyond. Well, it is, and, and honestly, and I'm not trying to put down anyone, so I hope no one takes this like that. But X ratings mean zero to me, and the reason that is is because it has nothing to do with the actual quality of the hat. It's more of a, it's more of a way to identify pricing than it is the actual quality. So we've never done that. I, uh, I, I was disappointed to find out back in those days that you couldn't actually buy a pure beaver hat body anywhere. They weren't available. So I actually called a company and I discussed with one of the owners about making me some felt hat bodies out of pure beaver. And he said, it can't be done. Well, I was in my mind, I was thinking, yes, it can. But I didn't really know that. But I was thinking, sure, it can. You know, so I ended up after quite a long time, maybe even a few months, uh, I called the Smithsonian Institute. And I got a guy on the phone. It was more coincidence than anything else. And he actually told me at the time, this was before computers now. And he told me at the time, he says, you really lucked out getting me on the phone. And he says, I'm kind of a had guy. And, and he says, I'm, you know, and he kind of went into all that. Well, anyway, he ends up sending me a typewritten pamphlet, I'm going to call it. But it was on kind of on uh, typewriting paper or maybe notebook paper. I can't remember. But it was all typed out. It was probably an eighth of an inch thick or maybe a little thicker and maybe possibly as much as three sixteenths of an inch thick. Well, this was detailed information on how pure beaver, just nothing but beaver fur could be felted. There was a lot more in there than that. But but that's where I actually sent that off to a company and had them look at it. And believe it or not, three months later, I got my first three pure beaver hat bodies. And it was really interesting because the industry as a whole never offered such a thing. There was, uh, you go back to the early 1900s and even in the late 1800s, and you won't find much mention of pure beaver. But when you get off into the early part of the 1900s, there is some mention of it. And then uh, I forgot the company. It might have been Miller Brothers. It could have been Stetson. I can't remember which. But uh, they did offer a hat that they claimed was pure beaver. However, when you get off into the felting part of this, it probably was not pure beaver. It was probably more of a blend and probably was more of a 75% than maybe 25% rabbit, which is still a very good hat, no question about it. But to get off into the real thing, it's quite costly. There's a lot of uh, fur that gets wasted in the process, and so it's not feasible for manufacturers to do that. It's just, it's just not cost effective so you throw more you throw as many hat bodies away as you actually are able to use because the process doesn't really lend for perfection on every single thing that you do you know if you if you get one perfect hat body the next one's probably not going to be so perfect <laughs> so it kind of it kind of works its way out so about half of what you end up spending money on you're only able to use so about half so butch this is matt what was kind of the first in your mind the first set of of, of- of a custom hat that you made that you can remember where you, you know, took it to to market or started selling hats. When was that? When did that kind of come about? The year was probably around 1982. 
Now I'm saying I don't remember specifically on that, but I'm going to say 1982. Uh, it could have been a little bit later, but not much. Uh, 82, 83, right in there. Yeah, we we actually started producing those hats. Uh, believe it or not, um, the first pure lever hat I ever made sold for one hundred dollars, and I actually had a really good profit margin on that. It was interesting too. I've still got my original one. I've I've actually made one for myself, one for my wife, and then we sold one for a hundred dollars. And someone stole my wife, so I don't know who that lucky individual was. <laughs> but uh, I still got mine. It's it's worn pretty good. It's pretty pretty well worn out. <laughs> At that time, Butch, you know, what but, would a typical felt hat cost somebody? You're, you're, I mean, you're higher end, you know, you're at hundred bucks. What would a typical felt hat cost somebody at that time? The, the price tags that we put on our hats now, um, they go anywhere from about a thousand bucks, maybe a thousand and fifty actually would be our lowest end hat. And that would be for one called a bar. The bar 50 is actually, um, it's actually been discontinued for a while. It's not that I don't want to make that hat any longer. It's just that we've made so many of those and they kind of interfere with our higher end hats. Uh, some of the, some of the higher end hats, uh, one of our hats is the original pure. So we start out with the bar 50 at about a thousand and fifty when we're actually making that hat. And then we go, we go up to the original pure, which is a special reserve fur. So it's, we got the original pure and then an SR and a circle means special reserve fur. And then that hat goes for about twenty-one to twenty-five hundred, depending on how they want it uh, trimmed. And then from that stage, from twenty-five hundred, it goes up to fifty-five hundred, which gets us into an ultra-fine fur. And that ultra-fine is very refined belly fur. And it's it's extremely expensive uh, to make. It's it's hard to the the hat itself um, has a fourteen karat solid gold buckle on there. There's there's kind of a lot to that. But it goes to a fit for fifty five hundred. Uh, up from there, we'll go up to as much as ten thousand, and then from there we work our way up to uh, uh, one we call the special the uh, silver beaver. The silver beaver is the rarest fur in the world. It's actually considered the rarest fur, and the, what it is, it's not a species of beaver. It's actually just a fluke. Um, one of the people that I buy furs from, I was talking to about that. And he says, well, out of about anywhere from 3,500 to 7,000 pelts, we'll find a silver beaver. And so that makes it extremely rare. And so I actually have to pay somebody to call those for us. So we, they're very expensive. But the time you do that, then we only use the belly fur from the pelt. That's, that's all that gets used on that. So it, it runs the price very, very high. And it's expensive for me to make. If, if, for example, a hat that I build, a silver beaver that I build for 25000 will actually cost me almost 10000 to make it. And the reason is, I want to explain this reason, because I've been accused of being a fraud on this one, and I don't want to be a fraud. I want to explain my actual cost and the reason it costs so much. Uh, that fur, being belly fur and being the rarest and having to pay someone to actually find those and accumulate those pelts for us, does cost a good bit of money just for that process by itself. Then we run the belly fur through something called a 16 section clean. And that 16 section clean, the way it works, the fur goes into a chamber, uh, that chamber uh, activates, uh, it's blown, and then the, the very fine fur comes out of that chamber, is collected and put into another chamber. And that happens 16 times. 
that way at the end of that, you're only going to end up with somewhere around eight, nine, or 10 ounces of fur left out of a 16 ounce pound. So now you've got to, you've got to add more of that. Anyway, by the time you're finished, you've got some very, very refined belly fur. And that's, that's what goes into the making of not just our ultra fine, but that's our silver beaver as well. And then, of course, on the silver beaver, part of that extra cost is we use handloom silk on the inside. Uh, we actually use a 24 karat solid gold three or four piece buckle set. Uh, and it's set in deeply into the buckle itself. There are two millimeter diamonds and it can be as many as 13 of those. And the two millimeter diamonds are actually a three point diamond. Those are high-end diamonds. When you start, you know, when you start looking at the cost of each individual thing that goes into this, you'd be surprised at how fast that ruins up to ten grand. So for years, I was actually selling this hat just at about a thousand dollars more than my cost, just as a promotional thing for us. You know, we we realize that you're not it's not cost effective. We're not making money on that, but yet yet the publicity off of that was tremendous. Uh, it, it got us a lot of business just doing that. So we sacrificed uh, profit on one hat just to be able to get enough publicity to get us some notoriety in the in the right areas. Because most of the people that buy from us are pretty well off, and, and when the people in that uh, income bracket want something really nice, they generally come to us. And you know, it's kind of a I think it's a great compliment for us. So we try to produce something that's uh, very perfect, very as much perfection as we can possibly get into it, and then we try not to ever have any such thing as a dissatisfied customer. Somebody pays that kind of money, they don't want to be unhappy with their product. So yeah, better we work right. real hard to make sure that don't happen. <laughs> yeah, and by do they have financing on that hat punch? Nope. <laughs> no Cash and carry. It must come in its own custom case or something. Correct. No, well, it actually uh, it actually comes with a box that's made from t- hand tooled leather. It's actually kind of a heavy box. Um, it's become it's almost uh, it's almost like a saddle. It's not almost. It basically is, and uh, it's, it's tooled real deep. It's uh, heavy leather. It's um, old seven eight ounce right in there, and sometimes heavier. And we line it. And it's, it takes me about a year to build a silver beaver. It's uh. It's not a hat that we manufacture. We don't manufacture anything. We all, everything we do is by hand. But, but on the Silver Beaver, there's so much handwork goes into it. And you're going to think I'm crazy for this. But if it's a cloudy day or out or, or if I'm in any way in a bad mood, I will not work on this hat. <laughs> I, have to be, I have to be in a happy mood. And it has to be sunny and bright. And I have to be cheerful. And, and all the stuff that goes with that. Otherwise, I end up screwing something up. And then I end up paying for it. So I'm trying not to let that happen. So it, it takes me about a year, about a year to do that. Hat. So do you, do you have a, so again, kind of backing up a little bit, cause I'm, I'm intrigued by the, by the process there. So once you source, you know, the, you, the right fur. Now, do you have um, someone that builds those hat bodies for you specifically? Well, yes, we actually do. Uh, we actually contract. Um, I what I've done here recently, you know, since COVID came up, a lot of the people that I've been dealing with, um, I've been in this business for for more than forty years, and the people that I have dealt with as my suppliers, a lot of those people, for some reason, decided to retire about the time COVID came along. So there was a new generation came in, and this new generation 
didn't have the experience, of course. So now they're having to felt uh, the fur that I'm providing. And this fur, of course, is not industry standard fur. So they're needing to felt something they're not really used to felting. Um, I've lost in the last three years almost $40,000 in ruined fur. And so I had to back off. This was, you know, we're, this was getting ridiculous because we were making, uh, we're producing fur, costing us money, um, sending it to have it felted, and then it was coming back not so good. <laughs> so not anything that I would use. So we kind of had to back off, and, and it slowed us down a lot. We are starting to pick back up again now, uh, pretty much offering only our extreme high-end hats at the moment. But we're within the next six months to a year, I should be actually back into doing our, hopefully anyway, our um, bar 50 and our original pure in the special reserve. So that would, that would make us, you know, back kind of in full swing within, within the next year, I'd be surprised if we're not. I think one of the things, if I remember reading right, is that you pride yourself on, especially those bar 50 starting out, but you know, those were kind of working man's hats, right? That hat is so tough. It's it's so good for the working cowboy. Um, I had a guy from El Paso call me several years ago. I had been selling hats, and I still am. I've been selling hats to ML Letty for 41 years. And ML Letty is located there in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, right there in Stockyards. And they've been uh, an extreme customer for me, and they've been a very loyal customer for me. And I, but I was selling exclusively to them wholesale for a while. Then I started, you know, reaching out and finding other people. But while I was selling these high end hats to Letty's, I had a guy from El Paso call me. He was a working cowboy and he called me up and he was trying to get me to make him a hat. And I said, you know, I am sorry, man, but I, I don't have anything priced like you need, you know? And he goes, so you don't make hats for the working cowboys anymore then. And I tell you what, it set me back on my heels. And when he said that, it made me feel really funny. And I thought, yeah, he's right. I don't. And I told him that I says, you know, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I don't make hats for the working cowboy anymore. Well, I have to tell you, it wasn't a couple of days at all that I didn't get on the phone and start trying to come up with something. I actually sat down with my fur guy and we had a discussion on what we could put together. And it really wasn't anything scientific at all, you know, but we ended up with a 50% beaver uh, blend of uh, the other 50% was rabbit. And so we actually had it cleaned up, of course, uh, like we try to do our higher end hats. And when, by the time we were finished, we ended up with a pretty neat hat. And, and we called it the bar 50 because the bar actually was a, originally was a minus. It was a minus. We were minusing out how much beaver to take out. And that minus when I got to 50, I thought, man, that looks like a brand. That, that looks neat. So based on the looks of the B, you know, the, the minus mark and then the 50, we ended up calling it the bar 50. And we produced a hat that I wore one myself for a year just because I'm pretty hard on stuff like that. I wore one myself to see if it was going to be as tough as we thought it would be. And it was pretty tough. So we labeled it the bar 50 made for the working cowboy. And you know what? It took off. I mailed in, uh, I mailed off about 24 of them to a place uh, up north. It's called the Quarter Horse Congress. When it, when it, uh, it was a, it's a show for the it's a Quarter Horse show up there in uh, Columbus, Ohio. I mailed off 24 of them to a vendor there. They had them sold within the first three days. Uh, there, was, there was 24 or 25, I think it was 24 of them. And then before that show was over, before the Congress was over that year, I was getting calls from pretty much everywhere in the U.S. asking about the Bar 50. 
they were calling it different things. There were, one guy was calling it the 50X and the, the, oh, I don't know, they had all kinds of names they were calling it, but they, they were calling us about the bar 50. And we kind of knew we were onto something there. We thought, this has going to move like crazy. And it did. It really moved like crazy. It moved so much that it was about to put me out of business because I couldn't make any of my high-end hats. We didn't have time. And so, you know, we just kind of had to start slacking off and backing off on that one a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's kind of tricky to find that balance between, you know, your volume and your, I mean, you know, of course, you always keep your quality up, but, you know, which which line do you focus on? Which line do you put your, your efforts into, right? And, um, and and that tickles me to hear that story about the Bar 50, you know, because, it, you know, again, as, as, as a working person that uses a hat every single day, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to know when you put a good lid on that, you know, that that one's going to, that one's going to last you. It looks good. Look, you know, and, and, and it has a purpose, right? You know, and so I think part of your clientele really, really no hats and no quality. And I think you really kind of, kind of, if you will, struck gold there, right? I thought I had, honestly, I was hoping to find someone to manufacture that hat for me because I'm not a fan. I'm not a manufacturer. I don't have any type of automated equipment at all. Everything we do is by hand. We've always done it that way. We sort of like doing it that way. But with the Bar 50, there is a way to manufacture that hat. And I was actually looking for that. But really, I never found anything. Uh, the only people that I ever found to do that was not really willing to let me supervise the entire deal. And it's not because I'm so smart that I can supervise this and I'm the only one in the, in the world that can do that. That's not at all what I'm saying. It's basically all I'm saying is that to produce that particular hat and to make it very tough there's a stabilizing process that has to be used. I couldn't find any manufacturers that were willing to take the time to do that. And it does take time. It's not something that can be done. You know, you can't just flip a switch and say, okay, it's stabilized. Uh, most of the industry doesn't even understand stabilizing any longer. I don't really understand why, but I think I know it has to do with hurry up and let's get the hats made because that's where the money's at. And I'm kind of stupid when it comes to business because I've kind of like overlooked the profit margins, you know, and I, I, know, I know that one guy that he's passed away now, but he was a felting man that I've known forever. And it was Frank. I won't tell his last name, but he was Frank, a very good friend of mine. And he told me that his bosses came to him one day and says, I want you to make a, a, a hat that will kick butch doors, beep, you know? And so he says, you know what, Bush? He says, I got on this thing. He says, Bob, I tell you what. He says, I built a hat that give you some pretty good competition. And he says, but my boss has told me that he says, you know, it price is no object here. Well, it turned out to be an object because after he worked on that hat project for he, I guess he worked on it for about a month. He said they they canned it because he was eighty seven cents over budget. Now. 87 cents. I'm going to tell you something. I have been hundreds of dollars over budget on a single hat. (laughs) So that shows me they're very good business, man. I'm really not. So I, I got to stay out of manufacturing. It won't work for Butch. Hey, Butch, um, we were talking, you know, amongst Matt and I and Dean here earlier and and this little um, thing that we're in right now with the Yellowstone. um, Were you in when um, the urban cowboy came out and tell us a little bit about how business was then? Well, the, the Urban Cowboy era, um, I came in at the tail end of that. I, I was not involved in the, I was, I was doing, I was messing with hats a lot during the Cowboy, that, that uh, Urban Cowboy era. 
but I wasn't into it uh, professionally or commercially. So when I came into it with Lone Star Hatters, uh, I got into the tail end of that and the hat volume, uh, the sales of hats at that point, the volume of, of hats sold at that time were tremendous. But right after that, shortly after that, probably within a year to 18 months, I noticed that it started coming down pretty rapidly. So there wasn't a whole lot of hats. Uh, people people kind of lost their enthusiasm for cowboy hats or western hats. So you know that that was nah, that was bad for Butch uh, at that time. But over a period of time, it picked back up. And then, of course, now with the Yellowstone thing, uh, we have yeah we've been asked if we would make hats for Yellowstone. A lot of hat makers have had that opportunity. Uh, we personally had to turn it down because we're not manufacturers. Uh, it takes us too long to build hats, so we wouldn't be involved in that. We do make hats for the owner, uh, but we don't make hats for anybody else involved with Yellowstone that I know of, unless it would be maybe if they've got some cowboys doing stunts or anything like that, there may be some of our hats found there. But as far as the uh, stars like Kevin Costner and people like that, as far as I know, Kevin doesn't wear our hats, nor, uh, nor uh, anyone else on the cast, with the exception of the owner. And and then so what about um, you know uh, a person just can't go and buy a butch door at a local um, tax store or, or feed store or apparel store? Tell you what's your philosophy there on that deal? Well, you know we've tried to put hats in the past um, in different places. You know where the where the working cowboy can actually just stumble onto one. But again, us not being in the manufacturing into this. It was really hard for us to do that. So we tried it for a couple of three years, but it, it just didn't work out good for us. Um, it's, it's much easier, like Letty's, for example, when they buy hats from us. They bought as many as almost a 1,000 hats in a given year, but they're kind of high-end hats and you know, selling for well over $1,000. And when you get into some of the local feed stores and places like that, they need to keep those prices down and it's really hard for us to do that, you know, and, and come out and make anything on it. You know, we make a hat, we want to make some kind of profit on it. Uh, we, we don't, uh, do a hundred percent markups. Like, you know, that, that's, that's kind of a standard thing. If, if you spend a hundred, you need to make a hundred. Well, we can't really do that on what we do. So we, we try to mark our, make our markups very, very, very conservative and keep them as fair as we can but our hats, even at that, they're still, the prices are through the roof. And, and I know I don't like that. I wish I could control that, but there's nothing I can do. And, and there's nothing I've been able to do. I've, I tried it, but. People can still buy one of your hats at Letty's though, correct? Yes. Our hats are sold and ordered at Letty's. If, uh, if people want to buy one of our hats, they can kind of go to Letty's. They can come to me they are, they can go to Letty's and purchase those hats, uh, and in a case of going to Letty's, Letty's will call me up and the, the order will have to be placed there, but then they'll call me up and place the order for that individual. And then they'll get a time frame. Well, how long will it take you to build this hat for John Doe? Uh, so depending on what quality the hat is and how available the fur is at the time, we'll, we'll generally takes me a couple of days to call them back and give them a, a guesstimation on when the hat will be ready. We're usually pretty close to it most of the time. So, Butch, to uh, piggyback on the Yellowstone and urban cowboy conversation, you obviously have a very esteemed and credible customer base. Is there, you know, people that stick out to you or, or, you know, neat stories that you have in terms of where your hats have been or where you've sent hats before 
I don't know, it's kind of a broad question, but just maybe some well, of your favorites. I, I, or, I think what you want to know on that is maybe some of my, the ones I was most impressed with. I can tell you this, I still have to, I, I, it's kind of common knowledge, we still have to a lot of very famous and, and very wealthy people. But, but the one that I loved the most was Larry Hagman. Because I grew up, you know, I said grew up, I, I watched Dallas back in the, in the old days, you know, and, and back when, you know, Larry Hagman and Patrick Duffy and Linda Gray and Eddie Peck was involved in that, uh, those people became friends of mine over the years. And I was actually uh, invited to go to Larry Hagman's house. My wife and I went out there and went to Larry's house. Um, he was in Los Angeles there. We was in his living room. I had a hat waiting for him. <laughs> so in his house, he comes down and he's on an elevator. He's got a three or four story house or whatever it is. But anyway, he come down in his elevator and the doors open up and there's Larry Hagman, my hero. You know, I love Larry Hagman. Everybody loved Larry Hagman. And so, there's Larry. I'm standing in his front room, and he says, where's my hat? <laughs> so I handed it to him, and I had no clue if this hat was going to fit him exactly right. I had talked to him about it on the phone, and I'm pretty good at fitting on the phone. I've, just, I've done a lot of that over the years, you know, so I'm, in my mind, the drums are rolling, and he tries the hat on, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is not going to work. This is not going to fit him, you know, but it did. It fit him pretty good, and I was real thrilled with that. Larry took us out to eat, and we spent pretty much all day with Larry and, and then Linda and got involved later on. So we were, that was probably one of my most impressed moments of anyone that I've ever done business with. And then Larry eventually bought a Silver Beaver, I promise. Uh, Linda Gray also got one. I don't know who paid for that one. I think I don't know if it was Larry or if it was her, but um, she wanted her Silver Beaver dyed brown. <laughs> And I tried to talk her out of it, and she goes, "Hun, I just look better in brown, you know." So, so she got a brown silver beaver, and uh, probably the only well, it's not probably it is the only one ever made. So, you know, that ought to be interesting. But uh, and and but passed away. Uh, we were at, invited at the funeral to the funeral. He had two funerals. He had one at South Fork uh, where this series was filmed, and then there was another one for him in Los Angeles. We attended the one at South Fork, and we felt funny going to that funeral. We felt like we'd be out of place, but we were not out of place. They they accepted us and, and rolled out the red carpet for us just because we were Larry Hagman's hat makers, and it made us feel incredibly special. So, yes, that one was probably the most impressive customer that I've ever had, and Larry turned out to be a, not just a customer, but he turned out to be an incredibly good friend for us. He was a good friend to us when, when they started doing the new TV series, Dallas, which was uh, owned by TNT. TNT had taken it over. Then TNT started buying hats from us to make for the Dallas cast. And, of course, Larry was the primary uh, man for that. And then Patrick Duffy was there. Linda was there. Linda Gray. Um, Eddie had been killed off. Eddie Peck had been killed off in the old TV series, Dallas, so they couldn't bring him in on the new one. He wanted to be there, and he tried, but it was you know, it was not possible because his character had been killed off in the old TV series. Hmm. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> and, and Butch, did you make um, hat also for Charlie Daniels? No, Charlie Daniels, I've, I've never. I did have someone from Charlie's um, group come into our shop in Austin and asking about us building a hat for him. 
but that never materialized. Nothing ever came of that. So, but kind of switching gears just a second here. Um, you know, hat making, you know, we, we're, we're just so in awe of, you know, not only the technical aspect, like you, like you've talked about, you know, finding the, the right furs and all that stuff, but the, you know, the artistic part of that, um, because that, I mean, that truly is a, you know, craftsmanship. It's both the, the science and art of, of building a hat. Do you, what, I guess, looking down the road, do you have anybody kind of following you? Anybody that's kind of, that's shown an interest in kind of doing what you do or anybody that you kind of are helping to train for that next generation of, of, of hatters? Cause we're still going to need well, good actually, hats. No, I actually do. I, I have two sons that are master hatters and my son-in-law is close to that. I've got my oldest grandson who's 18. Uh, he works with me in the shop from time to time and he likes it. He, he really enjoys hat making. So I suspect, you know, we'll work him into this. But one of the things that's interesting, uh, and I and I just want to throw this in. Not very long ago, I made a hat. I mean, it was actually a silver beaver. And it was the first one I ever sold at 25000 And the guy called me and asked me about it. And I, I explained it all to him. And I said, well, I have, I have raised the price to 25000 on this hat. And I thought he was going to pass out or something, you know. But he said, he goes, well, make me one. So I did. You know, I made him a hat. It took me almost a year. Well, I shipped it to him. And he, there's another story involved with it. The hat actually got stolen in shipment because we had a $25,000 insurance policy on there. And they put it right on the front of the box. It was insured for 25000 So somebody stole it. Well, we got it back. Anyway, so he received his hat, and that all turned out good. Well, but in the meantime, uh, a few months go by, and he actually calls me up. He's an investment banker out of Dallas. And he actually called me up and offered me $30 million to do a hat project that he had in mind. So I listened to the thing that he had in mind. He wanted to actually do a, a manufacturing facility. And I said, well, I don't really want to go into manufacturing. Uh, he says, well, you can still do your custom shop, but let's manufacture a butch door hat. So I'm thinking about this and thinking about this, and I'm going, I wonder if this is for real, you know. So I, I put it to the test. We found out, and it was real. They're, they're, he brought in investors from the East Coast, and there was, I think, one investor out of Fort Worth. And we met with them, and we had a spreadsheet, and everybody was very impressed with the spreadsheet. There is a tremendous profit in hat manufacturing. So we said, yes, we want to do it. They came back with a three-year payback <laughs> on $30 million. And so I called a friend of mine who's very, very wealthy man, businessman, and I said, is is that feasible? You know, it didn't sound feasible to me. And he goes, no, it's not. He said, you need a seven to 10 year payback on 30 million. And, uh, so we had to reject that. I just, I told him, I said, I'll be pulling every hair in my head out if I try to pay that back in three years. So I, I just backed away from it and you know, <laughs> we're still waiting. <laughs> Somebody will come along one of these days, maybe and make us a similar offer. But that, that kind of a thing would open up a tremendous, um, a supply source for custom hat makers in this country. It wouldn't just help Butch and Butch's family. It would help custom makers literally all over the U.S. And because of materials, really good quality materials pretty much have to be imported. And so if you can't, if you can't, you know, how are you going to say, okay, well, this hat's made in America. And it's not, it's made somewhere else, you know, some other country, Portugal, China, whatever. No, uh, that's, that's not, what I want to do. <laughs> so 
And I don't think any of the custom hat makers would want to do that either. And small manufacturers, you know, so it's, if, if there was able to be something here in this country where we actually produced really and truly high-end, legitimate materials, the custom hat makers uh, would be at a major advantage for them. So, you know, that's kind of what we were looking for. I don't want to waste your time listening to all that, but that's just something that we've kind of looked at. No, we um, we appreciate your um, time and so forth. And Butch, um, on the close here, um, this series that we're doing, each of us, you know, we decided to pick our favorite hat maker. And, um, you know, I chose Butch Durer, of course. And um, I, I want to tell you a story about how I found out about Butch Durer. And so um, I was traveling. Um, I used to be an auctioneer, and we uh, sold properties all over the United States and um, was working with a ringman. And I had picked him up at a hotel, and he um, was on the phone, and he said, uh, hey, run in there and um, pick up my hat off the credenza in the lobby there in the hotel. And uh, mind you, I had been in the feed store and farm store business for about 13 years, and I sold a lot of hats. Um, but as soon as I picked that hat up, I knew that there was something very, very different about that hat. And so we got in the car, and he got off the phone. I said, man, where in the world did you get that hat? He said, whoa, hand. He said, that's a Butch Durer. He said, all the great auctioneers and auction people have a Butch Durer. He said, you don't have one? I said, I don't. And so, anyways, we traveled for three or four days together doing auctions, and, and um, of course, I kept quizzing him about the hat and so forth. And he said, well... He said, why don't you get one? I said, well, so he let me, um, he told me what the price was. And, of course, that was about, uh, that was more than uh, most of the horses I'd ever ridden cost. <laughs> so he uh, he said, listen, and, and I think at that time, and correct me if I'm wrong, Butch, uh, he was um, buying them from Tenors there in Oklahoma. Yeah, Tinners was actually yeah. one of our, our people that we wholesaled to at that time. Okay, yes. so if he would order 10, he would um, receive a discount, you know, or get a special price for ordering 10 of them. And so, oh, like a month later, he calls me up. He said, hey, I'm going to order 10 hats. You want one? I'm like, well, I don't know. So he told me <laughs> what the price was going to be, and that still was way, way out of my league. And um, I don't know, something inside of me just said to do it. And of course, as one of those, for, for me, I guess it was a major purchase. I ran that across my wife and uh, she's had a hard time conceptualizing why anybody would pay that much for a hat. And I did. And uh, the hat came in about oh, a couple of weeks later. And Butch, I'm going to be honest with you. I took that hat out of the box and I felt it. And to this very day, it's probably been 12 years now. I have not had one regret on purchasing that hat. Still looks the well, same. Really thank you for saying that. That's, I mean, I really, that's kind of, you know, you kind of live for, for stories like that because that really helps me. I mean, that's it's kind of an ego builder for Butch, you know, it, it really helps. We, you know, I, we are still cleaning hats that we built is over 30 years ago. And some of these hats actually belong to working cattle people and, and horse people. So a lot to the horse trainers. Uh, yes, a lot to the auctioneers too, uh, and can cattle people as well. But I really appreciate you sharing that story. Thank you so much. Well, like I say, I, I mean, I treasure it as one of the my you know treasure items that I own, and I mean, like I tell you, you know, and I've had I bought things that I've had regrets for over the years, but certainly it's not my Butch Durr hat. And Butch, listen, we thank you um, for being here with us today. We're um, going to put the wrap on it and. Um, 
thank you for being the lead off here in our series. And uh, Butch, why don't you tell people if they want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Well, same number we've always had. Uh, we, we're at 575, which is the New Mexico area code where we're at. And uh, our phone number is 773-4923. And we can also be found if you, on when you go online, pretty much you just have to type in my name. And it, a lot of stuff comes up, you know. And, and so the name Butch Door will, will bring up uh, our website and kind of a lot of stuff on it, really. There's, there's a lot of things on us. I don't, I'm not much on computers, so I don't get on there and look, but I've been told that there's a lot on us. So I, guess I, there is. I have a real quest, quick question before we leave. Has there ever been a Butch Door advertising ad? We've been very fortunate. You know, I'm going to tell you, Paul, uh, and uh, well, all of you guys, uh, Matt, Dean, thank you all very much for being interested in, in doing this for us. We appreciate this a lot. But we've honestly, never really had to do that. We've been very fortunate. Uh, people have sought out our product. Uh, I even had a guy from Hawaii, believe it or not, call me years ago, years ago. And he said, I've been looking for you for the last three years or four years, whatever it was, you know, and, and he finally got my number somewhere and, and he ordered a hat. And I, I took his information over the phone and I shipped it to Hawaii for him. And he called me back and he said, I can't believe this thing fits. He said, I'm hard to fit, and I can't believe you did it. Well, it was probably more coincidence than anything else, but I got him right. And, uh, you know, that guy's been buying hats for me for the last 25 years. <laughs> yep. So. Well, the only way you're going to buy Butch Doer is you're going to have to look Butch up, call him up, find him online. He spells his last name D-O-R-E-R, Butch Doer. Yes, sir, that's correct. Butch Doer, we're going to let you go. Top of the day to you. Thank you, Butch. Appreciate what you do, and thank you for what you represent. Appreciate you. Yeah, you bet. Thanks. Thank you all, all very much. It's very much appreciated from our end, and I promise you my family thanks you too. All right. Don't forget, Butch, if it's Western, it's us. I know that, and <laughs> I sure appreciate it, guys. All right. Thank you. We'll see you all now. Thank you for listening to the Western Ag Life Podcast. Tune in again for another great episode.